Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Notergrow podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ivan Khan, and I'll be breaking down topics around education, growth, and culture with the intention to help your own growth journeys. For those not familiar with our hosting organization, Khan's Tutorial, I serve as a CEO there, and we serve kids K-12 in supplemental education centers throughout New York City. One of the unique privileges of my work is the opportunity to really know the various communities that our team serves and discover the various challenges that students face within themselves, their families, and overall community systems. Today, I'm joined by a very special guest, Israt Haq. Israt Haq is a teammate on both the Notagrove podcast and Constitutorial. After growing up in Kensington, Brooklyn, Israt will be completing college next May at St. John's University, all the way on the other side of New York City. While we recognize that today's topic can't be covered in just one episode, our team wanted to focus on feminism for the millions and millions of students attending college today and their classmates who will be joining the American workforce in 2020 and beyond. Isra, thanks so much and welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. We're so excited to have you here. Uh, first of all, before we get started on today's topic, uh, how's your commuting been? You're about to start off as a, uh, you're starting your senior year at St. John's University. How's your commute going nowadays? Um, so I still take public transportation, so you know how great that can be. Oh, yeah. Um, so I have like an hour and 30 commute, so I have lots of time to kill on the train. Um, I spend my time mostly doing homework and reading books, trying to kill time, listening to music, the regular. So anything that you can use to be stay productive during that otherwise dead time. Mm-hmm. Do you ever dare take a nap on the subway from Brooklyn all the way to Eastern Queens? I have been guilty of taking so many naps on the subway. Um, I guess I catch up on my sleep. I'm up late night studying, yeah. watching Netflix. Let's be real. Yeah. But I do definitely catch up on some sleep. But I try to use my time productively mm-hmm. just because, you know, if I'm awake, I try to stay awake and um, get in the groove of things. Sounds fantastic. So, you know, we're here today to talk about feminism from the college student's perspective. Mm-hmm. As mentioned, you're starting off, uh, you're just starting your senior year. Congratulations on the final year that's coming up. Thank you. Um, tell us about your childhood a little bit. You're from Kensington, Brooklyn. For the mm-hmm. listeners outside of New York, uh, you know, let us know. Um, so I was born and raised in Kensington, Brooklyn, like you said, been there my whole life in the same house for 21 years. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've seen my community change as I grew up. Mm. We can get into that later. But um, in terms of like my views, I feel like throughout these past 21 years, I've been trying to figure out where I fall in this world and like what my what I value and um, feminism is a big one for it. How I mean, so you're from Kensington, Brooklyn. It's a it's a it's a neighborhood that's rapidly going through change, like many mm-hmm. other parts of Brooklyn. And for a lot of the folk, uh, listeners, I used to actually be a resident uh, in Kensington, Brooklyn, mm-hmm. 2004 to like 2007 when I was finishing up medical school. Uh, besides gentrification, um, you know, happening right now, you grew up at a time where it was a very cultural neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Uh, so tell us a little bit about that and balancing. Um, growing up in a multicultural environment as a young woman? Um, So it was always a very diverse area. Um, Not so much recently, sad to say. Mm -hmm. But um, I grew up with there being Bengali grocery stores nearby, there being um, a Mexican butcher shop. Like there's so many, there's so much cultural, um, what's the word? There's so much just cultural like diffusion. Yeah, yeah, exposure going on that like um, I was always, I went to school with like, 
so many different cultures, like the flags on our classroom doors, the whole door would be filled with all these flags and different backgrounds that people have. So I was always very used to um, having so many different colors, mm. you can say, yeah. in my class. And my school picture was just filled with kids of all different various backgrounds and colors. And then when I started transitioning into high school and like middle school even so much, um, that changed a lot because I was then one of the only people of color. Okay, so, you know, similar to a lot of kids, um, mm -hmm. it like, you know, who grew up as a, as a South Asian, uh, you know, a lot of kids a little older than your immigrants and yeah. a lot of kids like, uh, you know, you're a little bit younger than uh, like us older folks. So, um, you know, today's topic is about feminism mm -hmm. and it's, it's a topic that in South Asian and many immigrant cultures, uh, it's not uh, discussed the way mm -hmm. it's discussed in Western cultures. So if you want to take us there a little bit and what feminism meant for you growing up. Um, so personally for me, I feel like feminism is something that I always thought about. Mm -hmm. um, but it wasn't really until like my brother was born and we were growing up together that I really started thinking about it and it really started rooting inside of me. Because I remember um, the way my brother was treated around the house versus me and my sister was very, very different. Okay. Um, and I remember being very young about like, I want to say seven or eight, thinking like, wait, why are mom and dad asking him to help with these chores? Okay. Why isn't he having to do this? So just like the way we were raised was very different. And I remember questioning myself about it a lot. But um, it never really went beyond that just because I was so young. Um, I want to ask you a little bit about that. Yeah, of course. Right. So, uh, you know, a lot of uh, South Asians see that um, growing up mm -hmm. where uh, the brother's getting a differential treatment yeah. uh, than, than their sister. Mm hmm but this was the case where your brother was younger. Yeah. And you're the middle uh, you're the middle child and you have an incredibly uh, empowered older sister. So give us some examples of ways that you started seeing differences in the, in the parenting style even for your younger brother uh, than for you and your sister. Of course. So I always say this um, in a lot of Bengali culture, we raise our girls to take care of our boys. Mm. Um, so what I mean by this is even though I had a younger brother, of course, um, I wanted to take care of him, but you see this all across the board. Okay. I'm sure you've seen it too, where it's like um, the daughter has to be helping out in the kitchen or the daughter has to be making sure that the son is doing okay. She's the person that should be taking more of the responsibility in the household. Okay. Whereas the son is allowed to like mess up sometimes, you know, like the boys will be boys. And this is not only in a Bengali household. You see it across the board oh. all around. Um the boy is allowed to mess up. He's allowed to be out a little bit later. He's given more freedom, whereas the girl is very, like, restrained. You so how old are you when you started realizing these differences? I definitely saw it at 7 and 8. Okay. Um, so little things, like my mom always had me and my sister set up the table for family dinner or family breakfast, as we do. What was he doing? Playing, playing, playing video he was games? playing his video games, doing his thing. So, And I remember me and my sister being like, Mom, like, why isn't my brother's name is Arnab? Uh, okay. Why isn't Arnab doing anything? Like, why is he... Why is he sitting there, you know? Um, but, like, that's kind of where the conversation ended, just because we were so young. It wasn't until I was in, like, high school and my brother was in middle school where we saw my brother would get all this freedom and all this, like, um, support that we didn't get. So, so transitioning a little bit to early adolescence, mm -hmm. like, your brother's 12, 13, maybe yeah. in the middle of junior high, and you're already in high school by now, but you're starting to see... Uh, greater freedoms allowed for your Definitely. male brother who's mm -hmm. younger uh, compared to you who's in high school. Yeah. Um, whether uh, your own personal experiences of uh, or some of those that your friends in endured, mm 
Um, if you want to enlighten our listeners a little bit about uh, what that was like. Um, it was definitely frustrating just because um, being older, I was like, hey, what's going on here? Like, I'm definitely the older one. I know I'm more mature. Yeah. I know I'm capable of like a lot more than my brother was at that age. Mm-hmm. Um, but my parents, it felt like they didn't see that. And it's not now as like an older person. It's not necessarily that they didn't see that. But I think it's like just it comes from like generations of like how we are raising our children. Hmm. So it's not necessarily that my parents didn't think I was capable enough. It's just that for so long. That's just the way it's been. It's just the way it's been that the son can go do whatever, like not go do whatever. But like he definitely has more freedom um, to kind of go discover things and like figure out who he is more so than um, a daughter would. So, you know, being in high school and starting to have a little, you know, more of your own agency and choices, mm-hmm. how did you, uh, what were your next steps to ensure to, uh, you know, gain more independence and break some of that, that traditional thinking that was so present in your family? Um, so I will say, like, I always think about high school. I had an amazing time at high school. Um, I met some of my best friends there. Yeah. And two of my best friends in particular uh, we were going, we're all in the same boat. Like, okay. we we're like, whoa, why does our brother get to do this? And like, we we're also like, I think it comes from like growing up as well. Yeah. And just seeing things from an outside perspective. Like, I remember freshman year, we were very like, yeah, I have to be home by five. Like, my parents will flip out, but my brother yeah. can come home whenever. Um, it wasn't until like, I want to say my junior or senior year where I was like, um, where me and my sister and my, a lot of other girls that were my friends kind of like, a fit we were like okay this is not okay clearly something is wrong here like i know i'm more responsible i know i'm better than this i deserve more than this um but why is it that he's getting everything that i should be getting so in you a guys way? you guys actually confronted your parents yeah. about it? So, it so it was you your sister mm-hmm. for my household it okay. was me and my sister so i remember sitting our parents down um saturday morning because we always had breakfast together uh-huh. and we were like hey like, why isn't um, it was it started off really small. So okay. it's like when we were setting up the table, we we're like, what is he doing? Why is he like not getting up right now? Um, and mom's like, oh, no, you know, like he's young. He'll figure it out. Obviously, she loves her son. Um, but like later, it became a bigger thing. And we were like, OK, we're not going to do this unless he does it, too. Like, this is a fair household. Yeah, we're all going to do things the right way. Yeah. Um, and slowly things picked up from there. How was that for your mom and dad to hear that? Was your mom resistant or over time did she embrace mm-hmm. um, that equality that you and your sister were uh, obviously starting to bring to the home? How, was, how did your mom respond to it? So my mom was okay. I will say, so I, when I was younger, my grandma used to live with us. Okay. And my grandma, like my brother was like the star in, his, in her eyes. You know, okay. she loved him. Like he could not lift a finger. It was harder for my grandma because she was like, you guys are girls. You guys are supposed to get used to like getting things ready. Like he should be fine. Like he shouldn't have to do this. Like my mom was more flexible and open to the idea. But my grandma was like, no, this is not how it goes. Like this is how it's supposed to be. We're going to do it this way. So there's a generational difference where uh, the older folks, it's still much tougher for them to embrace. And um, how did your dad take it? My dad kind of just laughed it off and he was like, okay, but like, you know, like, um, he was all right with my brother doing it, but this is still a battle in my house right now where it's like, I can tell my dad does not pick up as much slack around, like he gets, um, he's not doing as much as my mom is doing currently. Um, so even though he may be okay with my brother doing it, he still has that tradition of like, yeah, a woman should be taking and, care and of And I, and I, you know, I've, um, I see that 
in in many Bengali houses that mm-hmm. I visit where uh, the younger generation or the, or the millennials and, and you know uh, you incredible young women are doing so much more to make it equal um, whereas some of you know the older you are the the tougher I see some of the older people um, you know adopting at an older age yeah um, so as you transition through high school and now college uh, what types of women's groups or, you know, projects mm-hmm. uh, did you become more familiar with? You mentioned that it, it wasn't just you in a Bangladeshi household. It was some yeah. of your friends from Latin communities and black mm-hmm. communities. Uh, did Was there anything that you were able to do in high school and college to start uh, formalizing this uh, process a little bit more for you all? Um, so, like, I remember in high school, um, we used to just talk a lot. So me and my friends would find ourselves in a circle, like, Obviously, you know, we talk about like gossip and stuff like that. But more so than that, we really spoke about things that were important to us. And like um, feminism was a huge topic. Like, we'd be on the train for hours, our hour commute. We would just talk straight about this and go really deep into the nitty gritty of where this roots from. How can we change? Um, and I think that also really started us like finding different books around feminism that really like brought our attention in right so the deep conversations led to greater learning through more books yeah go on yeah so um the first book i remember i picked up was colonize this um and it's basically and it really appealed to me because it i read articles about feminism but no one really understands me unless they do come from a multicultural background so oh. a lot of things that are happening in my household i wouldn't expect a young white feminist to understand because again we come from such different backgrounds so this book really appealed to me because it's basically a um like 20 essays that different women from different backgrounds right a lot from south asian backgrounds from wow. african backgrounds from asian backgrounds and um so colonize this yes definitely Sounds pick it awesome. up I'm amazing book that um and it wasn't only me who picked it up my friend picked it up and then it just kind of went around the circle and everyone fell in love with this book because it gave a it gave a perspective that was never spoken about before. So there are you know various types of feminism mm-hmm. that's described nowadays, and uh, there's for example liberal feminism, socialist, and even cultural feminism. Uh, I guess you're really ex- you know uh, revealing the different types of layers. Yeah, it's not just about um, the gender differences. Mm-hmm. It's beyond that when you're coming from a different culture and how you add that uh, to this journey and this experience. So thank you so much for sharing so uh, so much of this so far. If it's all right, uh, to all our listeners at home, we're going to go to our, ne- our first break for the show. We'll be right back. And we're back to the Notre Girl podcast, uh, Feminism, a College Student's Perspective. Uh, we are back from our first break, and we're reaching the growth section. So before you, uh, we left, for all you new listeners, uh, our guest, Israt Hawk, was speaking about feminism and 
Elaborating more on um, the relationship between feminism and race and that intersection. So uh, leaving where we uh, left off, you know, continue where we left off, Isra, now that we're in the growth section, how does growth, the word growth, relate to the intersection of race and feminism for you, a, mm-hmm. you know, a 20, 21-year-old college senior? Um, so like I was saying before, um, as I'm growing older, I'm finding more things that relate to me and I hold dear to me. Um, it's hard because being a Bangladeshi American, there isn't too many, um, there isn't too many books or stuff about the struggles we go through. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I will say is, there's there's one podcast that I hold so dear to my heart. I love it so much, and it's called See Something, Say Something. Okay. Um, and it's basically about Muslim Americans growing up, um, and them telling their stories. But there are a lot of episodes where they bring a lot of women on board and have them talk about their experiences. Um, just being a Muslim American in today's culture and just how they're going through everything. And I feel like listening to it helps me learn more about my community, but not only my community, but how to deal with issues that come up in my day-to-day life. That's incredible. Um, I'm learning a lot about uh, this this topic, and thank you so much for that. If you were to explain your experiences to a non-South Asian feminist, Mm -hmm. how would you describe your unique journey, which may be very relatable uh, to them, but they may not see it through the South Asian lens? So since we're speaking about, you know, see something, say something, where do you think this podcast, uh, you know, see something, say something, really found its niche compared to other... um, podcasts around women's empowerment that you're also a fan of where did they hit that nail on the head for you um like i said before it definitely helps because all the women that come on the show are muslim and come from a south asian background so they'll talk about small little things that hit close to home like they'll talk about for example like they start the show talking about like what's your favorite type of cha you like to drink and i feel like um that's not something i can really have a conversation about with a lot of other people or they'll talk about, like I was saying before, the struggles that women go through in a South Asian household as opposed to how men are treated in their household. They'll talk about small things like that, that um, yes, I can have these conversations with other people and they may be able to relate, but it won't be to the level that they also relate, if that makes sense. Of course. Um, for a little bit of my personal experiences, you know, um, for about three years, uh, I was able to I had the privilege of serving as a board member mm-hmm. for a fantastic not-for-profit organization called SUPNA NYC based out of the Bronx in the Parkchester Castle Hill area. And a lot of our projects, our mission for SUPNA is to help empower South Asian mothers, particularly uh, new immigrant mothers, mm-hmm. um, help them with workforce training, um, English language literacy, or um, uh, health management or diabetes care. And one of the big... Uh, flagship projects and programs of Sopna was around mental health, mm-hmm. uh, mental health and, you know, home care, uh, for, especially on homemakers, because uh, if you're new to a country, whether you're from, you know, Latin America, whether you're from Africa, whether you're from South Asia, oftentimes, uh, you know, we're, we're coming to this country with our families and um, there's, there's a financial dependence that we are suddenly, like uh, women are suddenly 
have to endure because, you know, they're in a different country away from the rest of their support system besides mm-hmm. not just them and their husbands. So um, what do you want to share about that? Anything around mental health and women, whether in college or yeah. women in, uh, you know, in, in the Kensington community? Do you think there's an underdiagnosis of it? And are there programs or, you know, advice that you have for um, folks to retrieve more services in that area? Um. Well, I will say one thing that definitely helps is finding this community, like you were saying, whether okay. it be Sapna or listening to something or just talking to other people who understand. Um, that's what I use. It's very therapeutic. It can be exhausting being um, from a different background and people not understanding everything you're saying and the hardships you mm. go through. Um, being a college student, you know, like I'm lucky that my campus is very diverse. That being said, it is not that diverse. Um, so just being a Muslim woman in a class, it can be very hard for people to understand where I'm coming from. Yeah. So like an example, the other day I saw someone make a tweet about how, um, her professor was saying like all Muslim women are very, like they're very, they're very deprived. They can't see the rest of the world. They're very contained with two Muslim women sitting in his class. So uh, you don't have a if you don't have a space to talk about this and a space to rant, it's not gonna go anywhere. And I feel like you need that space and community to talk to other people and to understand where they're coming from. But like also just to have like that sigh of relief and laugh it off. Like wow, he really did say that to me. I can't believe this is what's happening. Um, so just my biggest advice would be to find that community to talk and mm-hmm. listen and um, be in each other's company. So you you touched upon something um, that reminds me of uh, an experience that a lot of young women go through Mm -hmm. uh, in the workforce and especially women of color, representation. Yeah. Uh, Representation really matters. And if you look at any college brochure or their homepage, it's going to be so diverse until you get to campus. And it's not as diverse. And you see uh, not as many minorities as was advertised. And you go into your classrooms and the professors... Uh, maybe from the previous generations of being a very white, masculine mm-hmm. uh, voice. Of course. Um, so that's just, you know, you, you've you've really brought that to light. Uh, and you've taught women listeners and even hopefully some men listeners about the importance of that space. Mm-hmm. Um, speaking, you know, more on the college campus, how has that... Um, how has the college campus become an opportunity for women to organize around um, issues that are critical to the future of the nation and to the you know to the future of society? Um, I definitely see, on my campus at least, I definitely see a huge change in women stepping up. So um, if women feel like they need this space, they will fight for it and they will get the club they need for it. So I believe St. John's just started a club for um, Bengali or just South Asian women to come and have a space and talk about the beauty they see in themselves and the beauty of all the work that they're putting in to create um, a better future, you can say. Mm -hmm. Um, And I see people fighting for these safe spaces because they are so necessary. You need a space where you can just come in, take a breather and talk to other people. Um, this is not just women, it's people of color, just all together minority groups are really fighting for these safe spaces and I feel like they're very necessary. So now that we're expanding the conversation to not just 
um, the experience of women. Uh, but you're also alluding to the space of uh, fellow minorities, mm-hmm. fellow minority women, um, and even start having the conversation of having more men on campus as allies. Mm-hmm. Um, what role do college men, as students, have in serving as allies? Mm-hmm. So it's it's a lot harder than you would think, mm-hmm. just because I feel like men, we're all raised with these notions of different things, and we believe that this is the norm. And it is the norm, but that should not be the norm. So I feel like to be an ally, you have to be uncomfortable. You have to be, you have to be able to feel com- uncomfortable and be able to be put in your place. You have to be able to listen. A lot more goes in than just trying to be there. Um, but I feel like as men, you have to push yourself to a point that's, like I said before, uncomfortable and try to just go through everything as it comes to you, but try to also understand. So me and a lot of my like fellow um, men, colleagues or classmates, we always go back and forth. And it's very hard for you to understand where I'm coming from just because you are not a woman in today's in today. So I feel like my biggest suggestion would just be to like listen, be uncomfortable, try. You don't necessarily need to try to understand, but just listen and be there. Excellent. I hope um, our listeners take that advice mm-hmm. and um, help uh, improve uh, this experience for, for everyone involved. Mm-hmm. And on that note, we will wrap up the growth section and we will be right back after these messages for our take on culture. are back to the Notre Grove podcast. I'm your host at Dr. Ivan Khan. And we are joined by Isra Pak. And today we've been speaking about feminism, a college student's perspective. And we are finally reaching my favorite section, the culture segment, where we get to talk about, uh, you know, the different ways that culture influences today's topic and our guests and our community of Notre Grove. So, um, Isra, how old are you right now? I'm 21. 21. I am a much, much, much older Bangladeshi male New Yorker. Mm-hmm. Grew up in a very, very different time. Uh, tell me a little. Tell tell the audiences a little about um, the type of pop culture that you consume in feminism, and we can maybe compare and contrast. So of course. So um, I was saying this before and this morning actually. I was just scrolling through Instagram, and there are so many support groups for so many women with so many different backgrounds. It's amazing. There's not only support groups, but there are artists who are portraying a lot of the culture that we're growing up with. So as I grow, I hope to see so many more because that wasn't so prevalent when I was younger. But I wonder how it was for you. Um, Well, um, in my house, it was uh, very different. Uh, Mm -hmm. You know that uh, you've met my mom. Yeah. And you've also (laughs) had a chance to meet um, my wife, Nipa. Mm -hmm. Um, However, you know, for my childhood... I had a very different experience from most South Asian kids uh, in that 
my mom had been working in the school system from a pretty young age. Mm-hmm. So uh, growing up, both my parents worked and we ha- I had to rely on my mom wasn't home much to, uh, you know, uh, tend to the matters of the home. My dad pitched in uh, a little bit more on the home in the home front, knowing that my mom worked also. Yeah. So she worked uh, everything from like uh, a phone operator at Century 21 on Broadway across Elmhurst Hospital. That was mm-hmm. her first job to uh, she used to work in a factory when I like right before I was born, um, like like a, a, a jean, a denim factory helping yeah. with the zippers and the, and the denim back in uh, London. So she'd always been uh, outside the home from a very young age. Um, so. Besides my own mother, my kala's in town, and she's uh, you know the principal of uh, Scholastica in Bangladesh, which mm-hmm. is one of the most well-known schools there. And my my nani, my my grandmother, um, on my mom's side, she was a principal of a women's college. Wow! So uh, education, administration, and strong women leaders has been very very prevalent, and mm-hmm. my mom's side particularly. Uh, my father's side, I've uh, countless aunts, and uh, I'm particularly close to my youngest aunt, um, and she enjoyed a really close relationship with my mom too. So, um, you know, the folks who've really raised me, uh, my mom, uh, my dad, my aunt, we all uh, really believed in, in strong women leadership. So mm-hmm. it was kind of uh, that was just kind of the norm for me. And then when I when I grew older and I went to high school uh, and I started speaking with other South Asian kids, I started realizing. Those differences, not only for other South Asian homes, but particularly from uh, a young woman's perspective. Yeah. Um, but you know, to to the culture segment, I'm a lot older. You're a lot younger. Um, you y'all generation of yeah. music listeners to book readers to TV shows to to our favorite streaming service is very very different. Mm-hmm. So you know, you're the guest for today. Uh, you can start the list. What's tell me about the type of culture that you're uh, immersing yourself in now? Of course. So like. Uh, like I was saying before, there's so much more where like that's happening now that wasn't happening when I was a kid. Okay. So for TV shows, we have like all these amazing um, South Asian actors now, you know, like obviously we had like our Bollywood actors, you know, yeah. but like now in Hollywood, <laughs> we have like Jamila Jamil and so many other women, young brown women who are we are seeing on our TV screen. And that would have that's been right. so big for me if I was that's younger, right. you know, like seeing all these women like. Um, we also like, I feel like this is a whole nother topic, but we've definitely shifted from like our colorism background. So we are seeing a lot of more predominantly brown skinned women on TV, right? So um, by colorism, you mean the preference for lighter skinned, yeah. sometimes often called shadism mm-hmm. or in certain or colorism where lighter skinned individuals are given preferential treatment. Mm-hmm. Uh, probably is, does that, you know, does the, the work out there, trace it back to colonizer practices and of all course. the ugly history of yeah. you know, similar stuff. That's like a whole nother. That's a whole nother episode, right? That's a whole, a whole nother, nother episode. Big episode. So, um, so now we have a lot more dev- uh, representation yeah. in pop culture. Uh, give us a few of your faves. Um, so I love watching The Office, of okay. course. And just having like Kelly Kapoor there. You know what I mean? Like that's not something that you would ever imagine to see. Shout out to Mindy Kaling out there. Of course. And then there's like, um, there's so many, not only in my community, but in other communities as well. Like the Lion King just came out, the new Lion King. And there was a full, like everyone playing a character was, had a African-American descent. Mm-hmm. Um, there's all black women and there's Beyonce and there's so much like going on right now. And there's such a 
push, which is amazing, of women who are saying, this is what we want and we're going to get what we want. And having, I wish I could just grow up in this culture, like become younger again and grow up in this culture again. And not only that, the other day I was in Barnes and Nobles and I just happened to be in the children's section. Mm -hmm. There's so many young children's picture books that represent so many different kinds of women and teach women that like, you fight for what you want. Like, I remember I picked up this book and it was called, like, Feminist Baby, I think. So children's books yeah. are, are a lot more re- you know, re- reflective of that? Mm-hmm. And so you're so saying much more Feminist represent- Baby, tell us about it. Yeah, so basically, um, from what I remember, uh-huh. it was just, um, it was like a small picture book that you'd read to, like, a baby, but it um, it was like, I'm not going to wait for any prince to come. I'm going to find my own horse and I'll do it all myself. Um, so we're really breaking the stigma and we're really working towards it which is amazing and i can't wait to see how much farther it goes yeah my wife and i don't let her watch beauty and the beast because <laughs> beauty and the beast like it's mm-hmm. about toxic masculinity and a, and the guy gets to be a really mean monster it's yeah, not it's, he's like acting mean the whole damn movie but mm-hmm. then suddenly he sees the light and and then that's when things have to be good so we're like Nuh-uh. And it's uh, so, the woman that helped him find it. Oh, my God. You know what I mean? So my wife, Nipa, is like, Ariana, you're not watching this. because." <laughs> so she clearly got a chance to watch yeah. it. Um, and we explained, um, and her mother took the, more of the lead on that, of, of how that's not mm-hmm. the way we'd like things to happen. And because of that, we don't watch it anymore. It's it's kind of canceled in our house. It's, I mean, that's good because like that shouldn't be the norm. You know what I mean? Like I grew up watching this thinking a prince is going to save me. But... Um, Boo. Boo. I know you have many trash. I start had to put companies, that in one, one com- way. Start your own companies, ladies. <laughs> you don't need no man. Um, but yeah, and there's just so many books for kids out there. Like there's um, bedtime stories for young uh, mm-hmm. women that I saw. And that's amazing too. Each page is about a different woman you should look up to. I, different women that did amazing things. You're you're starting to make me think of some of our favorite women leaders mm-hmm. in outside of pop culture. So yeah. I'm like, are you following the 2020 election? How you feel about Elizabeth Warren? Um, I feel Kamala Harris. I mean, there's some national top you know leaders out there. So um, any women leaders in business or elected office that that you follow or you're a big fan of or you you're studying big time and. Uh, for role models out there, not counting, you know, uh, our parents, our teachers and stuff. So that actually brings something up that I wanted to talk about. Yeah. Um. So I, because I am a woman of color, I always am looking for other women of color who aren't as representative in media. Mm. So I think this all started when I watched that movie. Oh, what's it called? Um, I forgot what it's called. It's about the woman in Nassau. Is bothering me. Which one? Oh, it was, uh, um, Hidden astronaut? figures. Hidden, Hidden figures. figures. Yeah, yeah. Hidden so figures. After watching Hidden Figures, I think mm. like it kind of like sparked something in me where I was like, oh my god, there's all these amazing women who are doing things, and they're not being recognized for what they're doing. So mm. um, I kind of like like to keep my research there. Like um, I was reading this book about this woman named uh, Sunita Krishan. Mm-hmm. Krishan, I'm not. I'm probably not saying that right. I'm butchering it. But she has her, dedicated her whole, her whole life to helping young um, young Indian women who go into sex slavery and creating mm. shelters for them and a nurturing spot for them. And, like, no one's talking about her. as And she's doing amazing work on, like, no is money. Is there, where can we find out more about her? Is there, like, I, an expose on her? Is there, like, a, a, a YouTube video or, like, a, an article mm-hmm. written on her that we can find out more about their work? I, I'm sure you can find out more about their work if you look her up. But I read her 
like the, she had a small chapter in one book. Yeah. Um, it was called like Once in Our Lives. Um, okay. I can get back to you about the name. But basically what that book was doing as well was just giving light to these women who mm. um, are in third world countries who aren't who are doing all this amazing work but aren't being recognized for it. Mm. So um, that's I love that book. It was amazing. Um, but yeah, I just want to put more focus on women of color who aren't being represented represented and are doing amazing work. That's incredible. I know this topic um, has many, many layers today. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm so grateful to you to get this conversation started. Um, this has been just our first, we dropped our five episodes last week. <laughs> exactly. So I'm getting feedback, Ashrat, on the, on the podcast. And I want to thank you and all the, the teammates, uh, in the office, mm-hmm. the marketing team to, uh, bring us together for this episode. Um, so even though this is just the first one of many topics and we're scratching the surface on mm-hmm. feminism, particularly for our college-aged audiences um, and our, uh, those entering the workforce right, you know, right away, if there's a couple of takeaways you want our listeners to walk away with today, um, and we'll definitely uh, have you back for future topics, hopefully, if you're willing, mm-hmm. uh, what do you, you want to share with uh, folks before, uh, before we finish up today's episode? Um, so I just wanted to go through some ways that like men can be better allies so um go for it yeah of course so i know like it's really easy for all of us women to be like oh men are trash i hate men you know what i mean but it goes the problem roots a lot deeper like that like Mm -hmm. we touch base on this is something that's been going on for so long that it's like in our lineage and it's been going on for so long people are raised to be like this i do not believe that a little boy is born thinking these things we're all raised to be these things it's not your fault guys you can blame it on society but let's make sure to listen (laughs) properly for for some tips um so i would say just we actually got some of these from hbr when we were doing research harvard business review um validated go ahead the first tip as we said as they said was just to be listening and be available um whether it be someone that you're immediately close to, someone that's a little bit even more distant. If they're frustrated with something, just being there and listening makes the most difference mm-hmm. because it not only acknowledges their problems, but it also, you know, you can work towards it and implement that in your own life. So mm-hmm. being there and listening. The next is definitely respecting space. Um, me and a lot of my friends go through this all the time where I'll complain about something and they just won't understand. So in instances like that, I kind of need my space to figure out what I'm going through and how I'm going to go through this in the future. Like I said before, this problem is so big and some of these experiences are so painful that I just need my space to deal with this and realize where I am in this world and how I'm going to move forward. Hmm. Um, a huge thing, huge, huge thing is remember that it's not about you men. Like, you're the least of our worries. Like mm-hmm. we have so much to go through. You know what I mean? I see all these posts that's like, oh, if feminism is wants equality, then like we should be able to do this, this, and this that women are allowed to do. It's not about you. Mm-mm. It's not about you. Um, and then lastly is like I said before, get ready to be uncomfortable. Like this is like this is there's so much that goes into this, and you will you're gonna be uncomfortable, but understand that it's okay to be uncomfortable. And that's a part of learning and growing as well. Amazing. To all the listeners, 
today we got a chance to tackle a topic that's deeply, deeply important to not only me as a host, um, as a father, as um, as a son, as a husband. I, I learned uh, an invaluable amount of information from today's conversation. So to everyone out there listening, I'm very, very grateful to you all for joining us today. Uh, please check out our Instagram page at the Note Grow Pod. Um, please give us the five-star reviews. If you're on iTunes, we are officially live. When And even if you have feedback for us, hit us up in the comments privately. Uh, keep those, keep those um, five-star um, reviews going. And follow us on our Instagram at Notre Girl Pod and, uh, and our Facebook page and check us out. And also we're available on iTunes, Spotify, <laughs> Stitcher and all your favorite podcast platforms and leave those follow us on all those platforms, please. So um, as we drop more episodes, I promise to get this outro a little bit quicker <laughs> and uh, smoother. But uh, jokes aside, uh, Israt, thank you so much thank for being you for here today. Me. I had so much fun. Uh, we can't wait to have you back. Hopefully, we, you'll you'll be willing to join us back for uh, later conversations mm-hmm. on this you know really important topic. And to all of our uh, listeners at home, uh, thanks for joining us today. And always remember to pay it forward. <laughs>